Hi guys, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Robert. My name is Gabrielle. We're going to be talking about the Capitol insurrection and the sociological perspectives that come along with it. Okay, so first I'm going to give a little background as to what happened. So the January 6th Capitol insurrection was essentially an attempt to overturn a fair election. It was fueled by Donald Trump's false claims of a rigged election and his incitement of violence. The insurrectionist goal was to disrupt the counting of electoral votes that would certify Joe Biden's victory. This was prompted by Trump, who had been urging his supporters to go to Washington to stop the count for weeks prior. So on January 6th, uh, thousands of rioters, which included QAnon conspiracy theorists, Proud Boys, white supremacists, and other far-right activists, uh, had already gathered in Washington when Trump gave a speech at a Save America rally on the Ellipse. In this speech, he continued to make more false claims about a stolen election. And as NCRI's assessment of the Capitol riot points out, one notable part of his speech is when he said, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. From there, his supporters headed to the Capitol, uh, breaching police perimeters. Uh, If you watched the news that day or on social media that day, I'm sure you can recall the scene of absolute chaos that was happening. Uh, Many rioters actually made their way into the Capitol using violence and force against Capitol Police. From there, it only became more unbelievable. Uh, Rioters basically ransacked the Capitol while posing for pictures. At this point, Trump had already decided to not send in the National Guard. But he posted a video on Twitter still claiming that the election was stolen and telling his supporters to go home in peace and that he loves them. Uh, He was adding fuel to the fire and he was well aware of it. Now we fast forward to 2021, the election of Joe Biden, and we see how things turn, right? But before we see how things get better, we kind of want to reverse and see where things went south. So we go back to Donald Trump's beginning days of 2015 through 2019, 2020, as you can say. We look at what makes him responsible for the insurrection. We look at three things, polarization demagogue and scapegoating these are the three main traits that mr trump uses to despise to depict and to disgustingly out oust a group of people so you may be wondering why how why how and where this all connects you you might you might recall when he first started saying mexicans are rapists that muslims are going to be banned and that black people are animals well we look at the state of mind as trump uses skilled speaking skills along with others to influence public opinion by employing the traditional tools of rhetoric with complete indifference of truth and this was cited in botch's dj in what is terrorism and social geometry and the media labeling of political violence we also see um according to Donald Trump aggressive rhetoric and political violence perspectives on terrorism that sociologist Mary R. Jackman concluded that verbal and written actions that derogate, defame, or humiliate an individual or group may inflict substantial psychological, social, and material injuries without being as conspicuous or flagrant as physical violence. So even though Mr. Trump did not specifically tell people to be very violent specific individuals, he still put that rhetoric out. He still used his polarization and his scapegoating to single out others and for others to attack the Capitol. Throughout his term in office, he used polarization 
And an example of that would be uh, a teacher in Georgia stated that for the first time in, in a century that she had heard some a student call another student the N-word. This was rising tensions as to what was going to occur on January 6th. As the election, as Mr. Trump was being proven more and more in the courts that he lost, more and more he incited the, the rhetoric and flared up the tensions. And so when people saw that the last brink of chance of having Mr. Trump in office was January 6th, they took it into their own hands and they began to violently try to overthrow the election. And here is Gabrielle for that second part. Okay, so I'm going to talk about how racism affects deviance and social control. So I'm going to use uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and compare them to how law enforcement reacted to the Capitol insurrection to prove that point. So Black Lives Matter protests were fueled by the wrongful death of George Floyd at the hands of law enforcement and the undeniable history of racism in this country. The attack on the Capitol was responsible by Trump supporters to his countless lies about a fraudulent election. Uh, Black Lives Matter protests were fighting for basic human rights while the insurrectionists were using violence in an attempt to overturn the results of a fair election. Uh, the Black Lives Matter protests were 80% peaceful, but law enforcement responded with tear gas, pepper spray, shields, riot gear, rubber bullets, much more. Um, I know in my hometown, probably in many people's hometowns, uh, police closed down businesses and established curfews simply based on the prediction of protests that would be happening. But when it came to violent mobs of people breaking into our capital and putting other people's lives in danger, law enforcement did nothing for hours. Uh, it pretty much seemed like the rioters were in charge. There were no preventative measures, despite the fact that this whole thing was in the works for months. Uh, once law enforcement did show up, they quite literally escorted insurrectionists away from the capital. And overall, the ratio of officers to insurrectionists was a joke. Law enforcement was completely outnumbered. Uh, in general, police reacted very casually, and that was simply not the case when people were peacefully protesting for basic rights. Uh, this leads me into my next point about white privilege and how it played a role in what happened during the attack on the Capitol and what happened after. So in the article, White Privilege, the Myth of a Post-Racial Society, the author, uh, Kalwant Bhopal, defines white privilege as the expression of whiteness through the maintenance of power, resources, accolades, and systems of support through formal and informal structures and procedures. He says that white privilege manifests itself through people's actions and existing structural procedures, which propagate unequal outcomes for people of color. With these definitions in mind, uh, it becomes 100% obvious that the insurrection took place because of white privilege. It was responded to in the way it was because of white privilege, and the insurrectionists did it because of white privilege. Uh, in their minds, it was their right to attack the Capitol. So this is why I use law enforcement's reaction to Black Lives Matter uh, in comparison. There's just no way that if it was black people breaking into the Capitol, there would not have been mass fatalities. The insurrectionists knew this too. They weren't afraid. They were acting like it was their right to be there. Uh, Trump and his supporters live in this world of privilege. Trump told the insurrectionists to go home. Only in a world tainted with the privileges of whiteness would someone who just broke into the Capitol get to go home. White privilege is protected in America, and the Capitol insurrection was the perfect example of that. Now we shift our gears towards political violence, and a lot of people might not know what political violence is, but political violence is when 
person or persons are being attacked for the political affiliation and or support. So before and during, so according, first of all, so according to uh, Donald Trump, aggressive rhetoric and political violence by Nako Shapiro and Block Elkin, they describe how before and during his presidency, Donald Trump preferred words were those the project project strength, toughness, and most of all wins. In his tweets, he used win and won 1,136 times. He also used strong, tough, fight, and attack. He degraded his opponents as failing, weak, and a loser uh, various times. Trump showed all his dominance traits as a child, and he bragged about it on social media, which isn't, which isn't uh, quite frankly, surprising. But we look at what political violence he has caused. In October of 2018, according to the same article, they report that congressional GOP candidate Greg Gianafort of Montana body slammed and injured a reporter because he did not like to be questioned about his health care policy. Then, President Trump praised him during the rally and mimicked a body slamming emotion. Greg is smart, he said. And, by the way, never wrestle with them, never. Any guy that can do a body slam is my kind of guy. So these kind of incidents of promoting political violence, whether it's through nonchalant tweets, whether through its um, praising of violence like that, um, is very troublesome. And that's what happened in the Capitol insurrection. They were using, like, take our country back, or uh, terms of, like, we got to fight like hell, as Gabrielle had mentioned earlier. Um, I think one of the most um, damning pieces of evidence is that He's saying that you march right down Pennsylvania Avenue and you go take it to them. And I think that's very um, dramatic. And I think that's also something that we have to take into consideration. But also, we must also calculate what the future holds and what the future possesses. And honestly, the future possesses a lot of things. But I think uh, with this insurrection, it taught us a lot of the ugliness of American politics and it taught us the white privilege and how we still have domestic violence or domestic terrorism. We still have political violence and that's on the rise. The FBI reported that domestic terrorism is the number one threat against the United States. And that's for the first time because usually terror, uh, international terrorism was the first. Um, white, white extremist groups and white supremacy are the leading factors in growing violence against other political um, organizations and or ethnic cleavages. So I think it's a very troubling indication of Mr. Trump and what he has done. And I think it has and it's going to last an everlasting impact on our nation, whether it's through political politics, whether it's through the sociological lens or through other means. I think it has a very damning uh, it has done a lot of damage to our reputation as a country in whole. I want to take a chance to thank Gabrielle and us. Uh, for putting this podcast together and I hope you guys enjoyed it.